from the trenches. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to From the Trenches, real life in the accounting industry. My name is David Boyer from SQL CFO. I'm joined here with Paul Meisner from Freedom Mentoring. I'll get to our special third guest in a moment. This week, we are brought to you yet again by the guys at BGL, who right now are sending out amazing bits of advice to accountants to help them talk about the federal election with their clients. BGL is Australia's number one corporate compliance and superannuation software. Now, Paul, you're sharing the star. You're sharing a mic today with a guest. I am. Hello, listeners. Hello, all. David, uh, introduce our... A wonderful guest. We have with us Emma Tibbles. Emma, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Is it fair to say listeners will have no idea who you are? Yes, 100% most likely. Here's why. You're a third year uni student studying accounting and behavioural commerce at Monash University. Yes. The mighty Monash. Yes. Sir John. Knew a thing or two about being in the trenches, Sir John Paul. <laughs> Oh, we should have played up what's, on that. What's behavioural commerce? Can we just... Yeah. Can we just... just I get that just question a like, lot. Yeah, yeah. In a nutshell, I sort of pitch it... Well, no, I don't pitch it, but I say that it's the psychology behind business decisions. So it's got a lot of, like, management, marketing, um, behavioural economics, leadership... Fascinating. Do you watch yeah. Billions? That's what Wendy does ah, on Billions. I don't Wendy watch is a behavioural, well, she's a psychologist actually. But the reason why you're on the show is you were the student rep for Chartered Accountants Australia and New Zealand out on uni. And I met yeah. you yeah. because I gave a talk at the Public Practice Forum for Chartered Accountants. Paul spoke to some of your public practice brethren. And uh, Emma was there and accosted me at the end with this, <laughs> this dog-eared notebook with all it's these serious dog-eared. questions about my talk. And I thought, what's well, this person asking me all these questions for? She's interesting. Welcome to the show. And we're going to talk a little bit about what's happening on campus for yeah. future aspiring chartered accountants today. Yeah. Can you tell us, are you, do you want to be a chartered accountant? I think so, yes. I'm, so I'm studying accounting and I've done an internship in audit. Which firm? At, um, Deloitte. I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah, I'm surprised. Yeah. Um, no. Where's Deloitte Digital going? <laughs> anyway. I'll ask. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, ask. See what yeah. I'd love to um, know. <laughs> but I think, I think my mindset at the moment is yes, although I'm looking to try out consulting, yes, I do still want to be a chartered accountant. And the skills gained from that and the accreditation gained from it and the network and everything like that, it's still extremely relevant and valid for any sort of... Um, area that you go into in business. So you, you're going to go to, what type of consulting do you want to do? Human capital consulting, hopefully. Isn't it crazy, Paul, that somebody's got decent uni experience as an accountant, like it's, it's almost the textbook what you do if you're a performer, wants to go into human capital management and still wants to be a CA? I think accounting and the financial knowledge, realistically, bedrock of most businesses and most... Business a lot of life. I think it's certainly good training. Both you and I went through CA David, although it was exceptionally hard, especially if you don't want to trade in it. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's, that's a fair effort, but, uh, but uh, certainly great skills. Emma, you, um, you, when you go out as the student rep, do you yeah. find that a broader type of university student wants to be a chartered accountant or is considering it? I don't think so. I think As a student rep, we sort of go to events where the demographic is accounting students. So what are you doing, like pouring free shots? (laughs) (laughs) At like fraternity parties? Yeah, with a CA t-shirt. That's roughly it, isn't (laughs) it? CA pin. Yeah. Um, No, so basically as um, a student rep, we go to events. What's CA in Greek? What's C in Kappa Alpha? 
<laughs> Epsilon. <Yeah. laughs> All that jazz. Um, no, so as a student rep, we go to um, like corporate cocktails events, talk to students about, so that's to do with your shots, no. Um, events where we talk about the CA program, the opportunities that it brings, and also how their career aspirations can align and how CA can help with that. Amazing. Uh, it's good to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Thanks, you're gonna, but now, you're, you're the first person to be the third wheel. Oh, my Without gosh. Vanderbeek's Andrew Vanderbeek, <laughs> Thought Leader of the Year, has been on before when you had, your voice was rough, Paul, so three of us were in the room, but you couldn't talk. Uh, let's see how we go because <laughs> this is French, not the most well-planned show we've ever done. Uh, best on ground, Paul Meisner. Oh, we're not going to start. Let's start with our guest, uh, David. I guess. Guests first. Okay. okay. Mm. All right. All right, so yeah, best my, on ground. my best on ground was in the financial review this morning and it's called Super Funds Fail Their Own Gender Targets. So even though it's a fail, I'm saying that it's best on ground because it shows that they're being active in this issue of gender equity. What else? And then even though they um, didn't meet their target, by having that aim, it allows them to improve the percentages and um, improve in the area of gender equity. But in saying that, I'm sort of... I've got mixed opinions of quotas. I'm, I wouldn't say I'm neutral, but I don't know. I'm still open to other people's ideas. But I don't know whether quotas is the most practical way of reaching a fairer society in terms of gender. Because in the article, it said that Graham Samuel from APRA, he says that in order to lift the quality of directors, you have to look beyond gender diversity. And he said, if a board is made up of 100% women, which provide diversity of opinion, views, skills and experience, then he'd be the first one to uh, cheer. And I agree with that. I think we should look more so from just having a quota of um, gender because that's not very sustainable. It's more so, um, no, I'd say the opposite of the gender quota would be just having a generational shift in that people brought up in the uh, 90s, the thousands, then from now onwards, if they have the, if we all have the values of gender equality now, then that any will happen. Equality. Yeah, yeah, any, exactly, any equality. Then that'll just sort of transpose into the workforce. Mm. Something here, and, and, and David, the concept of uh, diversity has come up with the AccountEx panels that did sort of blow up on social media. And it was interesting. And hearing a lot of the tweets and, and what, Emma, you were saying as well. Interestingly, I think there's two, two sort of different ideas that often get mixed up. For me, it's diversity is different to equality. And, yeah, and I'm not saying, right. yeah. but it's, yeah. and we often talk about them the same. And I think, and, and everyone, you know, yeah. diversity and equality, the, the word gets used interchangeably. But I guess to, to split them out, because I think it's important is, you know, equality is about ensuring everybody has an equal opportunity. And that's more where you're saying, is it 50 50 mm. in terms of equality? Mm. Whereas diversity is just basically taking into account the differences between people, groups of pe people, and, you know, placing a positive value on those differences. So ensuring that there is diversity is different to basically making sure that it's equal. Yeah. And, and I think that's the problem. Everyone says, well, we can't be equal but you can't use that as an excuse for not having a diversity of opinion. So it's the balance of having a meritocracy where people who, who earn their way and deserve their spot get their opportunity, but also doing something to, to get a more 
fairer balance of people and views that are in there and you're suggesting maybe not uh, not uh, quotas. I'm not a massive quota fan myself. It decimated the South African Test cricket team uh, quite literally because that was their response to apartheid. Yeah. Um, and it, it, in a very, we, we're more than happy to take sports comparisons and sports analogies when they work for inspiring business people. Have a look there. But Emma, I think it's really interesting. The, the comment about um, what the Graham Samuel said, of course, he landed himself in hot water when he suggested that a handful of women leaders were preventing other women from climbing the corporate ladder. Uh, but it looks like he's trying to undo... That's a bit harsh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's a bit harsh, given that the, the amount of men in leadership positions can't be used in the same way. Yeah. Anyway, all good. Emma, uh, great well start. Done. Well done. Well done. First, first David, hard you can go next. Uh, Paul's setting me up here. So listeners will know I'm I'm getting involved with the Catalyst program, Chartered Accountants Innovation Agenda, and I think it is great to see CA helping firms on their digital journey with more education, more learning. They put out a panel, which I'm putting it on best on ground because it was for best intentions. Now, I've said, Paul, in regards to Catalyst, Listen to what they have to say. Listen to what they're doing and engage and provide feedback and get involved. The topic of this panel is the sort of topic we have longed for from chartered accountants or CPA or any of the bodies for a very long time. IPA probably do it because they're ahead of the curve on most things. Workflow automation explained top five tips from the experts. You have some people who on paper are very good at this stuff. Heather Smith, who everybody knows we rate very highly for her knowledge on the cloud ecosystem. David Weichardt, who will be no strangers to listeners. He was on our MyOb. Is he on the MyOb Generals episode? Yeah. Yeah, so, yep. Spoke really well. He's the GM of products at MYB. Uh, Joe Pine, from, he's a chartered accountant, runs ZapDat, Supac, head of accounting at Zero, uh, and somebody from SEO was there, was moderating the panel. This is the type of content that I think accountants need beyond what we talk about on trenches. Uh, but Paul, we got some feedback from people who listened, and maybe the rollout of this wasn't as good as what it promised to be. I'm with you. The intention of this was fine. It's certainly a topic. At least it wasn't, you know, you must uh, ch- you know, shut your original business and move to advisory like every other session seems to be. I, I didn't listen in myself, David, but I did hear from people that listened in and said that sadly it followed uh, quite a common trend of just rolling out uh, software people who had software opinions that were, you know, they were employed by those software uh, houses to sprout the software line. It was pointed out that one of the panel members was in fact a chartered accountant in practice. And I think uh, some of the CA staff that held their hat on the fact that he was in practice and was gonna give the, the view from the street. Well, uh, from the people that listened in that that gave their feedback to me, that, that person on that panel was just there flogging his his software and kept dropping it into the conversation at every moment of time and didn't wasn't there to share his practical views, David. So I think the while the intention is all well and good, uh, the outcome I'd have in my worst on ground. CA on a big learning path on presenting this type of content, and I can assure you I'll be giving very constructive feedback internally saying if you get out software people, the moderator needs to be very stern to not let them sell their product. CA Kairos went off the rails because it sold out to software. I'm just going to draw that. I'm just going to draw that comparison because this is where this is the first step of a slippery slope. Uh, Best on ground, Paul Meisner. 
Open your tab. Too busy entertaining <laughs> yourself reading Emma's notes. Yeah. You want to see? Isn't this funny? Like you and I, I have got. We've got our content on a, a shared <laughs> workbook. We've got ta- Emma's old got school. this Dad. old school notebook school. Of, yeah. with tabs and insights. Yeah, love it. I've got uh, two extremely quick uh, best on grounds uh, today, David. Vanessa Bamford uh, out of VBS Business out of Adelaide. I'm pretty sure. Uh, just a small firm doing great things. She's really up to a social media game. Uh, just a blog on work smarter, not harder, calculating break-even point. Not necessarily content for an accountant, David, because most of us know about the, the break-even point. But what I, I, I love it when articles, you know, accountants have this practical knowledge and I love seeing it in a really simple, really well laid out format that you can give to clients. It's great value for clients because for all of this advisory and coaching and all of this stuff, sometimes... A small business, particularly the micro business, just needs to know how to calculate its break even and largely would have never uh, never seen it. M, work harder, not smarter? Yeah, I agree with that. I think in terms of being a uni student, you've got so many things on your plate you don't want to burn out. Today's theme is freedom and I think that's an important part of knowing, knowing yourself and knowing when um, you need to take time for yourself. But yeah, probably get to that a bit later, hopefully. Uh, well, <laughs> we, were, well, like we probably should have introduced the shows. Uh, we always forget today. that. We always do forget that. What are we talking about today, Paul? Freedom. Mm. Freedom. Freedom. Ooh, powerful topic. Worst on, is that the no, best? No, no, and another quick best Second, on ground yeah, yeah. for me, uh, Amanda White, uh, who is Amanda Loves to Audit. Uh, big YouTube following. She, I believe, is an audit lecturer. UTS uh, in using Uni Technology City. Lovely, uh, lovely lady. I had the uh, opportunity to meet her out of uh, in and around the World Congress of Accountants. She's just done an interesting video on the breakdown of a side-by-side comparison of the three uh, professional accounting bodies, David, uh, in terms of their history, their entry requirements, and a little bit about their programs. I just think, again, in terms of a side-by-side, up-to-date comparison, it was a good listen. M, why would you consider CA over CPA? The hard-hitting question. I think the global reach that CA has, they're part of the GAA. So then you've got the ability to travel overseas but then still be seen with the same accreditation or the same uh, calibre of accreditation wherever you go in those eight or so countries. And also I think one of the drawing cards is that CA's network that it can provide members. I, I, Paul, I'm always blown away at the quality of people I meet at Chartered Accountant events. Uh, it's interesting because the power of the network. I yeah. hope Chartered Accountant... So they have, the, they have the power. They just have not, over my membership with CA, been able to capitalise on it. They are in every major boardroom, every major not-for-profit. They are the, we are the people at the backbone of SMEs. Our network should be so influential and powerful that no politician would dare mess with tax issues that impact our clients, Paul. Uh, yeah, another. Uh, you got a great best on ground, actually, don't you? No, that were my two. Oh, okay. No, no. Uh, another great thing for me that I saw Accountech obviously over in the UK last week. It is the, well, they say it's the largest accounting conference in the world. Everyone says that, I think. Well, they'd have to be doing well to beat World Congress of Accountants last year, which had about eighty-three thousand people there. Oh, but no. Um, no, they didn't. Okay. I'm, I'm exaggerating oh, okay. Quite a lot. <laughs> no clue. <laughs> um, uh, but all the stuff comes out, and because they're because the making tax digital isn't there anymore. I had a chat with Tom Herbert. 
afterwards, who's the editor of Accounting Web over there. And he said, look, without accounting, uh, making tax digital, it's kind of just knowledge sharing. It's sort of back to the rhythm of accounting conferences. But what Accounting Web did, Paul, they did the swag review. That's all uh, the people care about. That's what I go for. Well, some at, well, at World Congress, uh, they ran out of swag because people from other countries were so interested in their stress balls. And this, hey. this clip is hilarious. So well done in your typical deadpan British humour. Uh, it's just hilarious. Check out the link. Was it, it was something about uh, a boon for, for pen collectors? Boon. If you're a pen collector, that's great. You've got the luxury pens, the novelty <laughs> pens. It was so, apparently, there were, in this video, there were so many pens uh, available uh, on, the, on the displays that in the video they had to break them out into premium pens <laughs> and non-premium pens. Hilarious. Check out uh, the show. link is in the show notes. Brilliant. Uh, Emily, you like, uh, you like getting yeah. free swag? Yeah, that's like O week to a T. You go to any store. I think I'm part of like maybe 10 to 15 clubs this year, all because of the free stuff, the show bags. The best swag I got at O week was a CD case. Oh. Do you know what CDs are? <laughs> Are they sort of like tape recorders? Similar. No, drink coasters. Yeah. Drink coasters are <laughs> a fancy bar nowadays, I think. Right, uh, worst on ground. Coasters. Let's go. Come on, keep moving. Uh, Emma, right. what do you got? All right, so my worst on ground is more so just like, it's not an article, but it's more so an opinion or a view of potential uni students, is that commerce and business degrees are invalid and pointless given the demand of STEM students in accounting firms in today's age, and then also in terms of tech, in inverted commas, replacing accountants. Because um, I know as part, of, as part of Massa, the accounting club at Monash, we're holding a lot of STEM-focused events, given the um, demand of STEM students in like the big four and everything like that. So you think that the whole noise of STEM, which means science, technology, engineering, engineering and maths, maths yep. Uh, is getting so much attention that it's stealing people away from traditional commerce degrees. Accounting's a fair bit of maths, though. Like, I'm surprised we're not. Yeah, but it's not. I don't, it's, I don't think it's it's the type that goes into these sort of solutions. Yeah. And and why is this bad though? Isn't STEM good? Isn't it good for the future of Australia? I think no. I think STEM is extremely good. The transferable skills that they're taught or they learn in those sorts of degrees is great. It's more so. Do universities have to alter their degrees to of accounting and, fi- and finance and um, business and commerce? Do they have to adapt what they're being taught, what they're teaching, and what the students are being taught? Uh, you know, for all the noise of STEM, there's some extra STEM funding, but you know, there's there's not a lot of noise about supporting the Australian startup ecosystem or the mm. Australian tech ecosystem. In fact, a lot of the cha- budget promises are still stripping things away. No support for R and D really from either party. Labor's made some minor contributions to it. No support on uh, lessening or restricting loosening the visa rules. I'm getting talent in. Mm. I feel like um, there might be a bit of hype around STEM jobs. Yeah. Em? I think there is as well. Worst on ground, Paul Marsden. Oh, me, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. What have I got? Two quick ones for me. Uh, Chartered Accounts Australia and New Zealand, David, are heading to a member vote. They have a new raft of changes. There's an explanatory memorandum out. Don't want to go through the vote in detail. Otherwise, just to highlight uh, two very quick things for the CA members out there. One is uh, it's important to vote only because to have your voice heard. The second thing is that each of the 
each of the resolutions that are up, and I believe there's four in all, can be voted individually. So you, you as part of the voting process, you can vote either for and against uh, each of the individual ones. Most of it does seem innocuous. David, three of the four certainly do. The fourth one, the word I'm hearing is troubling some members. It is an intention for Chartered Accounts Australia New Zealand to extend to three terms of three years. So nine years, they want to extend the board term. For unelected members. They'll say, yeah, not elected by uh, yes. membership, but, uh, but the council uh, the, the council selects them. And it, and it is a paid role. I, I personally, in my only my personal view, I, I find it really troubling given the off the back of the CPA saga. Now, certainly not trying to link the two, but the optics of this for me just seem exceptionally bad. This is not the time to extend a board position. I find it hard that for an organisation that can say that they are uh, trying to be, um, you know, react to the ever-changing, we're in the, the biggest, fastest, apparently, pace of change ever. They want to, they want to keep their board members for a period of nine years. And look, let's be honest, they, they, they do have to apparently at the end of every term re-nominate. They're re-nominating to another panel that that panel has uh, does harbour ambitions to get to the board anyway. So this, you know, this just to me seems like something that shouldn't happen right now. The, the counter-argument to it is uh, they got a new CEO, Rick Ellis, came in about 12 months ago, Paul? Oh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Presumably came in with a new strategy that the board signed off on and whilst you're going through change, you want continuity of leadership. Uh, so I, I kind of get that. Six argument. years doesn't give you enough. Like in the fastest pacing change industry in the world, David, well, apparently. If it's fast paced change, I'd actually probably want some stability at the top, to be honest. Nine so years. To, to, now, nine years. So I'm just giving you a counter-argument uh, to why I might want it was, already yeah. si- like, it was already six. I'm not a governance expert, although I did the Australian Institute of Governance uh, free test that was a promo from Accountants Daily that came out yesterday. Got 100%. Oh. HD. <laughs> HD, yeah, that's right. I get, I get honest. Don't I get a different colour sash, maybe? Anyway, it was a basic clickbaity test. But when, when it comes to terms, I... When it comes to governance, I listen to Jeff Kennett. And Jeff Kennett, Hawthorne Football Club, former Premier of the State of Victoria, regular speaker on the Australian Institute of Company Directors Circuit, who's very big on not overstaying your term and was famous for make, amending the Hawthorne Constitution, your club, Paul. Oh, no, no, that's not. Uh, I don't know why I thought that. But, but he changed and he said, President shouldn't last more than six years, you get stale at the top. I think it's the wrong time to do it. Are there, are there term limits on clubs and societies at university? It's generally the yeah, term you're at uni, year. isn't it? So sobriety get... tested, Paul. <laughs> um, no, each year, or at least for the clubs that I'm part of, each year um, new presidents and new committees get elected. Does that have a problem for, like, like you know, doing anything long-term strategic? I don't think so because usually the people who go into executive positions have been part of the club mm, for good previous succession. years. Yeah, good usually, succession. hopefully. Unless some random sort of comes in, which is not ideal. Yeah. <laughs> God, God damn uh, democracy, Paul. Your worst on ground, David. I'll tell you what, the franchising sector, Paul, they can't, they just, oh, we touched it the other day, char time in a bit of trouble, franchising business. These, these businesses that fundamentally, their franchisees cannot make money 
and they and they go out and they sell these franchises. They just need to be stopped. It's just not good enough. Char time, another massive headline against franchising uh, for the same old stuff, Paul. Like franchisees can't make money, so they're cutting corners. They're not paying staff properly. They're doing dodgy deals with staff and cash payments. And it doesn't. I'm not going to get into the problems with Char time. The point is that franchising does well. Franchising can do well because a franchisor provides a support network, business coaching and mentoring, so these people can make money much better than they could if they went out on their own. The second the franchisor stops doing that, the, the alignment of stakeholders disappears. As I don't think franchise systems should be listed. I think that there's a native conflict between franchisees and public shareholders. I, I really do. I think it's, it's too hard. Um, and, and that's coming out. I mean, with, there's so much still to come out. Uh, the Labor Party said they're going to accept the full recommendations of the Senate inquiry, which is going to see a new department created for franchising. I think we've spoken about this on the show many, many times, Paul. But it's so frustrating because you have an ageing population in Australia of baby boomers who are getting pushed out of the workforce, perhaps sooner than they want to, who are passionate, who are experienced, who are worldly, who have a bit of equity, not a huge amount, but enough to buy a franchise, done well, this can be a great solution to transitioning our economy forward, both in retail and in service industries. But all the franchise sector seems to do is come scandal, 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 and they just don't have the one big success story. You know, we said on the show last week, the week before, Paul, basically other than H&R Block. That, that certainly... is leading the way. And sequel CFO. <laughs> had to drop that. Had Shameless to, plug. Had to drop that. Oh. Oh, the franchising sector, Dave, just cannot catch a break. I mean, we've had 7-Eleven, Caltex, Domino's, Pizza Hut, Retail Food Group. Like, it just, it, it's a bad, I mean, it's a bad space at the moment. And certainly, clearly, the, the bad ones hit the paper uh, a lot more often than the good ones, although you'd be better placed to know any shining examples, as you said, no, H&R Block. And, and, and they... We know that the negative stuff gets clicks, don't we, Em? Like, yeah. that's, that's always going to sell more papers uh, these days. But you know, where, why have we not seen a single marketing campaign or communication strategy celebrating the success stories? The success there story seems some. to... Well, there are. No, there are. And there are, a lot of, there are a lot of franchises that do it well. But they seem to be in pockets on LinkedIn, talking to themselves mostly. Not no big coordinated national campaign. Well, presumably they're too busy just making a profit and being happy, right? <laughs> you don't hear well, it if you don't. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Um, but all this negative attention makes franchise recruitment harder for, for businesses in that sector. It hasn't impacted us uh, as much in our franchise. I, I think, in a in a way, I think there's a lot of romanticising about run, running a business and... Well, of course there is. Work your own hours. Work, you know, yeah. freedom. You know, freedom. work your own be your own yeah. boss. Like, not, left unchecked and I guess not done properly, small business owners, I think, face far, you know, far uh, greater hours worked, often less money, especially in the micro-business yep. sector. Yeah. You know, it is... It is really hard. You are the you're the, you're the first. I'm not David. You personally not because we've just both go and play golf. But other business owners are the, the first first in, last to leave. But more importantly, the last to get paid. Yeah. You know, and and certainly there is a lot of there is a lot of stresses on small businesses, and people just for some reason want to get into this without necessarily doing their due diligence. I've had people, David, where I've looked at financials, and I've actually said, and of course, I mean, as an accountant, you can't tell someone not to do it, that they, yeah. they can make their own mind up. But you certainly can add your 
professional scepticism to some of the income projections, some of the, the, the risks. I, I have for one, you know, for one or two clients in the last couple of years, I've looked at a set of financials for franchising. I said, look, you know, the, the, the margins are super thin. You've got to do massive amounts of turnover and more importantly, just helping them calculate the payback time yeah. on some of these. And, it, you know, it, it, I just, it's almost disheartening to just hear how, how frequently or how easily these people who are prospective business owners just repeating the line, oh, but but it says I'll earn 200 grand a year plus pay off the debt. Like, you're like, wow. Yeah, and uh, look, you've also got horror stories of accountants um, not doing proper due diligence, just getting a P&L, not enough historicals. A lot of these RFG st- um, um, resales are based on just an income statement. Then, like, proper due diligence needs to be done when acquiring these things. Anyway, Paul, franchise still in the worst on ground. But I'll tell you what, when we see a good one, we will put it right to the front in best on ground. Can I put another quick thing on worst on ground? Go to whatever you want, and there's no rules on this show. (laughs) I saw um, an article titled, Women Came Out on Top in the Battle of the Sexes for Super. This is just a quick one in terms of it's not a battle against the sexes, or at least I don't think it is. I don't think... I think creating equality and everything like that, it's not a battle. It, there's no war, even though we're on from the trenches. It's not, um, <laughs> haha. Zing. Yeah, there's no battle there. There's no battle. So yeah. it's, it's people need to work together exactly. to, to get this. Yeah. And, and what that article was referring to, that are funds with more female executives outperform funds who don't. It's just another, honestly, the business case for women in senior positions has been written and won. There's so much data out there that proves the business case for it, provided you can find the right talent, the right women to do it. But just a clickbaity headline, I am, Paul. Yeah. We don't like the yeah. clickbait, do we? Often happens. Often happens, unfortunately. In-depth topic, David, go. Right. Just, just In-depth topic. I've wanted David to do showed us. Yeah, yeah, by the way. I do. Yeah. I do feel like <laughs> you're sitting opposite me. It's uh, and it's I Spanish think Inquisition. We, uh, as a guest, we are not talking over the top of you like we do with each other all the time. This feels like much more of a civil conversation, Paul. Uh, <laughs> Get on with it, David. In-depth, in-depth topic. We're talking about freedom, right? And the reason we're talking about freedom is a few different reasons. Em, you're a young, aspiring business leader on the Australian landscape. Uh, Paul, you invest, you believe in a, in a lifestyle business so much. You've created a training course for you to mentoring. And for me, while this is so front of mind, I've just come out of Passover, a Jewish festival of Passover, which celebrates the exodus from Egypt and, and release from the slavery of the Egyptian pharaohs back in the day. We built the pyramids back then, Paul. We were quite productive under slavery. Uh, got a lot done. And so we wanted to talk about freedom and and not necessarily what it means to us, but three steps to freedom. And the first thing that we came up with was to have a plan. And Em, you're so at the start of your career, but you must in your mind think it can't just be about work. How do you have a plan to to get free? I think for me, in terms of finding a plan, or at least finding the right plan, there is no one right plan. And I have to know that plans change and I don't have to have everything locked in place now. Like with the freedom, most people change careers throughout their lives. So if I want to go into one particular career path, I should create the skills needed to transpose into a different career if needed. Um, So I think in a summary, having a plan is really important, but knowing that it can change and you have to be able to adapt to that. What's your 
planning around. While a question without notice, apologies. Yep. But <laughs> it's okay. you know, I, I don't know what you were like, David. But I, I mean, I remember the concept of, of that transitioning from school to uni and, and sort of that midway through uni it was really like we were making decisions that otherwise were going to lock us into a profession for a longer time. And I don't know whether that was just because we were having those discussions with our parents. So, I mean, Emma, is that, how do you see that transition into work? Are you looking at, well, where's my, you know, first job rather than my whole career, I suppose? Is it, is it do you have that shorter time or maybe a bit more of a, a freedom to sort of think, oh, well, you know, that's the path I'll head down for now. You know, and not in a bad way, yeah. like not like I, I intend to change. It's just, you know, do you feel comforted by the fact you can change? Because I don't think I, we had that, David, as much. No, it's definitely a newer trend. I mean, there's something, I've, some, I can't remember the exact stat, but people, these days, younger people these days have like six or seven major yeah. career changes, which is yeah. a huge amount. But you mentioned having the skill to be able to transition what is that? How do you put words to what that ability is? I think it's knowing where you want to go and then identifying, and in terms of the second point that we'll talk about ne- uh, next, is finding a mentor. And so identifying someone who's in the position that you sort of aspire to be in, identifying what they've done and why, and sort of gaining the skills, whether it be coding in this day and age, um, marketing skills, anything like that that is needed for where you want to go. So identifying it and then learning it and upskilling yourself to get there. So sort of like little yardsticks ahead yeah, of yeah. the way and then you know not really knowing where the next yardstick is until you get to that one. Yeah, short-term goals instead of the long-term. And getting satisfaction from the short-term Yeah, goals. exactly, celebrating the small wins. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I, I, the other, the other thing, I mean, you know, listening to clearly yeah, that's yeah. really good advice. Do my yeah. human, and human consulting wasn't even wasn't even an option, yeah. David. When we went through uni, so there you go. Yeah, there's careers. Breathing. That, yeah. Human consulting was breathing, Paul. Human capital. Yeah. Human Sorry, capital. human capital, no, not consulting. <laughs> it was consulting, but in human yeah, cap, yeah. human capital. Ah, kind of. I don't know. Hang on. Yeah. Still don't. Different. Entirely Paul, quite yeah, understand you, what it did is. Did you have a plan to do what you want to do? I think I had then. At uni, I'm not sure I have a plan. I don't know. Interesting. But were you always going to go into public practice? Like your I, I did shop, it from about shop. the age of 13, I reckon. I was going to be an accountant. Just, I liked it. Just, yeah. I liked it. I, I, was, I was always going to be an accountant. I think I was always going to be in accounting, but it presented itself very quickly that I wasn't the greatest producer of accounts. So I had to find my place. And, and my sort of yardstick change went to banking and then consulting and all still with a heavy, heavy numbers base. So you've had a couple of career changes as well. Like, did you, and was that planned or was, I mean, I suppose it was unplanned. No, well, the plan was get your CA and then really get out of public practice and potentially do investment banking or um, I used to to like the idea of walking down Collins Street, the top of Collins Street in a $10,000 suit, but you need the salary to do that. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But then the GFC hit. And it was just stupid to leave your job in 2008, 2009. It was just a dumb thing to do. So I stayed on um, and kind of just looked for within the firm where the best opportunity, the best place for me was and found a place in the consulting team there. Going to banking was tough because you had sales targets. Mm. We all know how that turned out. I was at NAB. Um, But what was harder, honestly, was going... And starting SQL was actually pretty straightforward because it was so clear with what True North was for us. Mentally moving into franchising has been hard because I'm a business owner now. So the way I think about myself, what my role is, has been a huge change. And talk about you know having a mentor, having a CEO now um, challenges me 
on, on what I do. You know, I did something. I got told off yesterday, Paul. I haven't been told off in. <laughs> I tell you off constantly. Yeah, but it's but that doesn't though. count. It doesn't <laughs> count. No, but I got because because I, I did something and I kept it to myself. I yep. didn't share it within my organisation now, and I, and I didn't communicate it properly. Yep. So that's been a tough change. You mean for Slack me. or Trello or I don't know what whatever other aren't you on? We're on Teams, but um, yeah. I'm not going to get into it. It's not working. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been tough. Software doesn't doesn't uh, I can't solve log everything. in on my mobile. It's driving me uh. nuts. Ah, uh, really? Ah, uh, well. Anyway, yes. Yeah, our second tip: get a mentor. Yep. You touched on it before. Yeah, just you, briefly. You don't have I don't mentors? have a mentor. I think because I've been to so many events where people talk about the importance of getting a mentor and I completely agree with that. But it's more so I'm getting different advice in terms of how many mentors do you have to know them beforehand or do you just cold call them, cold email them, um, just ask them for a cup of coffee. And also one thing that I'm sort of thinking is if I was to get one how and it doesn't work out... Or if, like, we, um, not part ways, but if we sort of drift in different directions, how would it be telling them that I think we're not... You don't need them anymore. Yeah, yeah. I've chopped and changed mentors many times, and I must be honest, I don't like that conversation. Yeah, it would be difficult. It is difficult, because you go through a lot together, you show a lot of vulnerability with them, and then it needs to end. Hey, yeah, I think it, it, uh, clearly mentoring uh, Freedom and mentoring are close to my heart, having started uh, previously Freedom Accounting System and now has, has turned into Freedom Mentoring. Mentoring to me over the journey has taken, I guess, a, a different case. It, it, for me, it's never been one-on-one. I've always had those networks of people, be them friends, old bosses, uh, you know, uh, family, family, friends. And, and I guess I've never had, I've never had a one-on-one, I've never had a paid relationship. I've seen a lot of clients go through it more in the business, you know, sort of that business coaching, life coaching, mentoring slates, because they're all a little bit interchangeable, you know, in, in the business world. I think I've seen it. I think there's there's many, many avenues to learn off clearly industry leaders. I like to learn off people who've done it, yeah. not just people who've yeah. talked about it. And, and I think that yeah. that often strikes me as, as the real challenge with the one-on-one. One, you know, plainly there's a cost, and we've talked about that as well, David, that you, yeah. you, you, you can't necessarily turn it on and off as quickly. You've got to build that rapport. The other thing is I'm always concerned about if, you, if it's one-on-one, you're only limited to that one person's view yeah, um, and often if it's whether or not that view is directly related. I, had a, I mean, I've shared this story, David, on the, on an uh, episode before. I had a client who had a choice between a very uh, valuable consulting gig or running his own small business that was, let's be honest, running in a bad direction. He wasn't, he lost interest in it in a way. I wasn't invested in him whether he, whether or not he ran the business. So I sort of said, look, Go and do this one year, two years. Go and make an absolute uh, ton of money. Refresh yourself. Put the put the business a little bit on autopilot. Go and make good money. Come back. If you really miss the business, come back. Turn it on, and at least you've got some cash flow to do it. But if you back the business, you're, you're not going to be here because it's going to go out of business. The business coach who wanted them, this client to stay in business and was motivated by losing that Definitely. consulting arrangement yeah. said, "No, you're not being true to your business." It's like. The truth is, he was going to earn three hundred grand, whereas he was losing a hundred grand a year by running the business. So, so I, I, clearly, that is not a, a common thing. I, I want to, 
I want to introduce a concept for me, uh, micro-mentoring. I can give a specific example where I had a major decision to make in the business. I've been talking to Maria for a long time. She was about to come on as, as CEO. I wasn't having cold feet, but I needed the last half a percent. And as it happened, I met Justin Dry from Vidomofo, who, and I've got a big interview dropping on my other show, The Financial Mentor with Justin. And after we finished talking, I said to him, oh, you know, guess what's happening in your business? Said, oh, we're looking at this thing, it's about to happen. I just, you know, been unsure about it. And he had just exited his co-CEO, who was a co-founder, and he just looked me in the eye deadpan, and he goes, do you want to be a CEO? It's pretty tough. And I thought, oh, uh, no, I don't really like that job. I don't know if that's my best place in the world. Uh, so I had this micro moment of where I got the mentoring that I needed through yeah. casual conversation, yeah. but putting myself in the right place where there were people who could have been going through this, which is really important. Uh, the next thing that I did after realising that was valuable, I'd read that Nick Sinclair from the outsourced accountant had just brought on a CEO and he was elevated up in his business as well. I said, mate, thinking about something, can I have like a very no, yeah. you know, uh, honest conversation with you? And, and so I got a micro-mentoring on a moment that got me through that. And, and the reason it's important and why it relates to freedom is I kind of roughly know where I want to go, but Emma, the idea of the small yardsticks, yeah. I needed someone to help me just nail yeah. it into the ground. Uh, you raise a great point there, David. I think that if you, you know, in terms of mentoring, if you want, if you have challenges on marketing, Go get micromanagement yes. or micro yeah. tips from someone you trust around marketing. If you want, yeah, you know, about, yeah. about running a firm, you know, go to someone who's, who's who's run a firm that looks and feels like yours. You know, I guess largely that's that's you know a power, and you add to that the layer of community or the layer of network because often it's just someone to talk it through, yeah. and they might not give you the answer, just but a sounding board. Sounding board, yeah. and, and often as you you. Talk about it in a safe environment with other people who've been there. You've got to almost solve your problems in a way you talk it out yourself. So, and that's certainly what we've done with freedom mentoring. Is we've got we've added. You know, Wayne clearly has a massive bent on marketing. Wayne Schmidt, your Wayne Schmidt, co-founder uh, co of Freedom Mentoring. He has the marketing. You know, absolutely nailed. Sally, uh, his wife, has all of the process, procedures, and admin. And I have the practical knowledge about running a firm. And we've added to that a layer of community of like-minded professionals who want to actually get in, ask each other questions. You know, that, that's why we put that around it, because to me, mentoring is different to that one-on-one. -on -one. You know, you need to find out what you want and go get it. Our final tip, lesson And you can more. turn it on and off anytime you want. Our final Play. tip. <laughs> well, let's into Freedommentoring.com, $197 <laughs> a month. All you'll ever need. And weren't we just talking about moderators needing to stop people yeah, on panels pitching their own wares? You're own. doing very well, David. <laughs> doing, you're you're doing well. Now, less is more. How is less, in, less is more important to achieving freedom? Have we just got too much junk around? Junk yeah. people who clutter us that don't help us get to where we're going? Mm. You're too young to have that, Em. Uh, I've got a bit on my plate in terms of like clubs and work and everything. So in terms of less is more, I think it's important to find out what things you really want to do, um, what you really want to uh, do. So instead of less is more, it's more value. Quality over quantity. Only do things that have big impacts for you, but you can yeah. do a lot of them. Yeah, for you. And I think that's, I mean, that's a very hard thing to do, you know, especially, 
younger when you don't have necessarily that pull to family and a lot of your friends are around those clubs as well. You know, you mm. you, you do sort of tend to take on more because you can. You yeah, have, exactly. You have more, more point. Opportunities um, arise, then you take them. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you and you, you kind of get busy and you're sort of trying everything uh, yes, to yeah. get it. David, you and I have often spoken about this, about the, the introduction of, of family and kids into that is, is just made us far... Uh, you know, far more diligent in prioritising those things. You know, I, I had to make some tough choices when family came along about um, sport that was taking up a lot of time uh, and while I enjoyed it, was I getting enough out of it? Uh, certain committee roles, David, we've spoken about the fact that I was on committees for chartered accountants and then wasn't wasn't finding that it was uh, was going anywhere or, or getting anything done wasn't creating value. I'd, I'd given it a fair amount of time. So certainly I think there's this real quest to be busy and we've really got to critically analyse what what value each event, each thing is giving us. Now, this could be anything. This could be roles we hold that are voluntary. This could be clients we take on. You know, that yeah. not every client is adding value to anything. And I always worry about growth for the sake of growth in that same in that same sense. Every time, and Cameron Schwab, who will come on the show, puts this in a really great way. Former and he CEO says, Melbourne Football Club. Exactly, and Fremantle, uh, now design CEO. He actually says that every time you want to do something new, every time there's something new to do, you've actually, the, the toughest thing is to think about what you're going to stop doing in order to make that happen because you can't think of this as a, it's not a bottomless pit. We're already, you know, if you assume that everyone's just already too busy, you know, what are you actually going to actively take away to add something new that adds value to you? And that's, I think, a great question. It's, yeah, it's a question of either spreading yourself thin across heaps of different things or really going in depth into like one or two things that you're really passionate about and making real change in that, in those sort of activities. Emma, thank you very much for coming on from the trenches. <laughs> Thanks very much, Emma. Did you have a good time? I did. I really enjoyed it. Thanks. And it's great to hear you having some bold and strong opinions on things that really matter. It's, Paul, would you say the future of chartered accounting is in safe hands if this is the quality of the crop that's coming up? Absolutely. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Guys. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Thanks again for listening to an episode of From the Trenches. David and I love to hear from listeners, so you can reach out if you've got feedback or story ideas, get in touch. I can be reached on Twitter, at Paul Meissner underscore, or on LinkedIn, Paul Meissner. I'm on Twitter, at David Boyar, B-O-Y-A-R, on LinkedIn, David Boyar. From the Trenches.